This is a conversation with Zikri Rahman, a writer and organizer on the Lawan protest movements of Malaysia. Zikri and I discuss the dysfunctional state of corruption and lack of democracy in Malaysia, how these social forces are driving new generations of Malaysians to demand change, and how the Luan protest movement connects to other regional and global struggles demanding greater equality, democracy, and hope for a new generation. For more conversations on global movements and global issues, you can go to our back catalog on the Arts of Travel podcast. And for print interviews, you can go to asiaarttours.com. Here's my conversation now with Zikri Rahman on the Lawan protest movements of Malaysia. Thank you. My name is Zikri Rahman. I'm a co-founder of Buku Jalanan and also writer organizer with Malaysia Muda. And for this particular session, I'm uh, representing uh, Secretariat Solidarity Rakyat, um, the organizer of um, the protest movement Lawan in Malaysia. So uh, Malaysia is a country that I find absolutely fascinating, but I think because it is very complex, sometimes doesn't get picked up in international media as much, partially because it's, you can't just sort of go in and write about Malaysia. You, you have to know a little bit about it, and there's a lot of complex things going on right now in the country. So as, as simply as you can, you know, for a novice audience, could you talk a little bit about um, how COVID has sort of maybe intensified or really brought to the front some of the anger or frustration that people have had with politics in recent years in Malaysia? What, what's going on in the ground that's leading people to get angry? That's a very reasonable question to, start, to kickstart our conversation because everyone is angry right now in different parts of the world. We can see people going out to protest um, in, uh, because of different reasons, but most of it is because of the COVID-19. And it's the same here in, in Malaysia because we can observe how um, the mismanagement, the incompetencies of the government is becoming more prevalent, I can say. It's not one event, one single event. It's actually a culmination of different events that actually uh, spark those kind of resentment towards the um, establishment right now, in, in Malaysia at least. Because as you can see, like um, you can read like um, the suicide rate is getting uh, higher in Malaysia, mental health is deteriorating in different parts of the community. And of course, like behind that is actually the economic situation that we are facing or the, the market stagnation that actually influence the way people is being um, um, organized. For example, the youth unemployment rate is 40% right now is, is high. Is, um, and then we also have uh, a prevalent education gap between the, not only between the urban and the rural area, but of course, between the economic divide as well. And of course, like it's getting much more visible that um, the young people actually experiencing malnutrition in their diet of their daily life, for example. So this kind of situation actually um, influence 
the reason why people should be angry and why people actually choose to go out and protest uh, in recent years. Yeah. But then again, uh, it's very interesting when you mentioned that, um, of course, Malaysia is not really being mentioned um, in, 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 in different uh, uh, news outlet, for example. But then again, it is also very interesting because in Southeast Asia, um, Malaysia is, might be the only uh, country um, in Southeast Asia that actually experienced the transition of um, democratic transition through electoral means. But then again, um, we're also facing uh, what we can define as um, a democratic coup. That's, that's how the, the power, uh, those in power uh, right now actually position the um, the Lanka Sharitan or the Sharitan move that happened in um, 2000 after, sorry, um, the, the Sharitan move actually happened 22 months after the new government was being voted in uh, in 2018. So that's, is, that's how um, Malaysia's situation right now, although we have a democratic transition, but now it's, it goes back to the square one as you can see, like it's like the old proverb of like uh, we have an old wine in in a new bottle, but it's much more worse in Malaysia where the old wine is actually in the old bottle. The political parties of Malaysia, my very crude and uh, limited understanding of them, is that a lot of the construction is based around sort of personality or sort of rallying to the divided sort of ethnic bases of Malaysia between Malay, Chinese, and Indian. And that this has sort of been one of the big roadblocks, a more democratic uh, political reality in Malaysia. Could you talk a little bit for people who are unfamiliar about uh, the recent fall of PM uh, Najib Razak and this general dynamic I've described? Is that uh, a, a way that's easy for people to better understand Malaysian politics, that it's a lot about just rallying to specific interest groups or demographics, and oftentimes uh, based around uh, race. The, the political dynamic in Malaysia has always been the, the questions of three R, if we can define it between those three R, which is, which is the race, religion, and royalty. So this is how the, the power dynamics has been contested and negotiated along this while. So all this while. So, um, as you mentioned earlier um, about about the how does the race actually came into play here in Malaysia? I guess it's very much the colonial legacy between the British occupation uh, of Malay of Malaysia. Uh, so it's very much embedded and entrenched in the in the political structure that we have right now, where we can see the um, the race based political power is very much dominant even until the democratic transition that we are that we had before in 2018 the negotiation has always been the race based policy uh, in in malaysia but then coming back to 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 your question on um, mm -hmm. the question of najib razak i guess that's a very interesting um, trajectory uh, that we might discuss here today um, because najib razak um, it's actually one of the symptoms of what we are having um, for so many years. The questions of incompetencies, the question of mismanagement of, of, of uh, the governments and whatnot. So 
Najib Razak, um, with, through his one uh, MDB cases, is uh, one of the largest um, corruption issues in Malaysia, or maybe in the world, because it involves with like hundreds of different transactions in different uh, parts of the world, different uh, companies that have been involved in the illegal transaction of the money and whatnot. So I guess um, with Najib Razak, the question is, uh, people are reaching the tipping point of anger towards 60 years of Barisan National. Barisan National is the, um, the former incumbents uh, of Malaysia because uh, it's a political coalition that has been um, govern, governing Malaysia for 60 years uh, since um, the independence, actually, before there is a move or there is a transition to Pakatan Harapan, the Coalition of Hopes, um, which led by the, actually by the former Prime Minister, um, Mahathir Mohamad. So, so that's, that's the dynamic that happens uh, behind um, the, the, the downfall of uh, Najib Razak. But of course, um, Najib Razak is not the only sole reason why people are organizing. Since uh, 1998, we also had the uh, reformasi period, which actually organized by the former Deputy Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim, which actually helped to expand the democratic spaces. So there is a continuous tension in the society uh, in order for them to, to pursue or to further the democratic um, uh, demands uh, within the society. So from 1998 until 2018, there is a continuous 20 years of cycle of democratic um, um, enlargement uh, or democratic um, expansion within the society. So the downfall of Najib Razak is the culmination of those kind of push and demands from the uh, bottom up. Yeah. You're young. I'm relatively young. I tell myself. Uh, I don't know if I'm young anymore. But I know these sort of demographics have a big impact on politics. So, for example, in neighboring Thailand, right, you see this really strong divide, oftentimes based on age, uh, between people who are more loyal to the military junta and the monarchy versus people who are really seeking democratic reforms. Uh, Malaysia, when a lot of people who are not from there think of Malaysia, we think of, you know, the Twin Towers of KL. And that's not obviously the entire country. Um, you, you rarely think of Borneo when you think of Malaysia if you're not from there. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about for this political energy or dissatisfaction, how might we see divides between the young and the old? And how might we see divides between someone living in KL versus someone living in a more rural uh, community in somewhere like uh, Borneo? What are some of the divides that are coming into play in these political conversations? Yeah, that's that's a very hard to say, like a very large question that we have to answer, right? But but then again, I try to at, attempt to, to answer these questions. Um, yeah, um, of course, like, there's always a demarcation, like there's always a boundary of how politics is being defined in one, uh, in, in such countries. And in Malaysia, um, of course, uh, it has been categorically defined as a race-based society. But then again, at the same time, there's always a different um, situation that we are facing as a society. For example, um, it's very interesting when you mention about 
um, KLCC because that's how like almost half of the um, um, the demography right now is very much a young, uh, a very much um, uh, young society right now. So they're becoming more um, open to the ideas of uh, democratic participation. But at the same time, the legacy of Mahade when he actually built um, KLCC, you know, all those developmentalist kind of agenda during his early uh, tenure as, uh, as the prime minister. So that's how the background of Malaysia actually evolved from like um, uh, what we call as agrarian based economic to industrial based economic system that we have right now. So Mahade is very much influential in that sense. But also at the same time, we can see there's a different current to how uh, politics is being defined, especially when we have um, industrialization. It also means that we have um, uh, what we define as the new um, middle class. So what we are having right now is the new young middle class that actually have experienced the industrialization that has been experienced by their parents, for example. So uh, in that sense, um, they experience also not only the benefits of the industrialization, they also experience the violence of the industrialization. So that's how we, we can observe uh, in, in Malaysia, um, the questions of uh, demography between the urban and rural is very much uh, significant as well because most of the industrialization that happens occur in in the urban area so there is a huge migration of of the people from the uh, villages to the urban center to the urban areas in mid 80s when mahade actually with the ideas of um wawasan 2020 or vision 2020 try to industrialize the whole country. So in that sense, um, we can observe the, 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 the changes of politics uh, occurs, of course, uh, quite prevalently, prevalently between um, the urban and the rural area because the way they live is completely different. And also the, the way they um, participate in the economic sectors is different. So, but then again, it's very interesting as you can also observe right now, um, there, is, there is a changes of economic structure as well because uh, from the industrialization, we also um, emphasize a lot on um, the palm plantation, the, um, the rubber plantation. So we also change into those kind of direction uh, in terms of our economic um, sectors. So we can see like people are moving not only from the uh, rural area to the urban area, but also way back to the uh, rural area, way uh, further into the forest reserve, for example, because of the need for a new uh, land acquisition, uh, especially in the forest reserve, for example, especially in Borneo or even in, in, in the um, in, uh, rural area of Peninsular Malaysia. So, so that's happened um, in, in Malaysia. But in terms of the demand between those two groups, um, of course, because you are in a, if you are a new middle class, your aspiration 
is completely different uh, with what you have uh, if you are from the rural area, for example. But then again, the economic demand is very much similar because um, as you can observe um, uh, from the past few years, um, there is an increase of uh, urban poverty as well. So not everyone in the urban area actually have an access towards a better quality, um, dignified um, economic participation. So it's, it goes both ways. It goes the same with those people in the urban area and also the rural area. So, so that's how um, um, the, the changes or even the political demand was being construed uh, by, by, the, um, by both political divides if we are looking at it from the different ge geographical location. Could you talk a bit about how these Malaysian politicians, the parties in particular, try to speak to voters? And is that something that Malaysian youth are also more and more just not believing in what politicians say they can deliver? Is there a sense of broken promises for a lot of Malaysian youth when they listen to these political parties? Of course, like... Um like the, the recent general election in 2018, uh, when um, the government uh, actually had a peaceful transition uh, to another coalition, uh, PH, Pakatan Harapan, the Coalition of Hope, um, is a very enriching and tumultuous point uh, in, in Malaysian politics. But then again, of course, people getting more disillusioned as time goes by, because when they actually um, voted in PH, it's very clear that they demand um, a new, at least a new vision of what Malaysia is. Because when we goes back, when we go back to the um, to the question of how people actually vote vote last time during the last general election, interestingly, we can observe that uh, from the numbers, this is the first time that people are actually uh, voting, but beyond the race um, factors. Because you can see like uh, in different parts of, 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 uh, of Malaysia, people don't really vote according to race, for example, but according to the parties and how do they actually um, uh, promise with their manifesto. So this is one of the most uh, important part of um, uh, the general election in 2018, where People try to go beyond the race, racial categorization. But then again, uh, what happened afterwards is very much important as well for us to reflect because um, there is a continuous tension between um, the dominant power, the embedded power within the political structure in Malaysia, which has always been defined as the, uh, has been defined as 4M, which is the Malay Muslim middle class and, and um, Malay Muslim um, middle class. So this is the, 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 the tension that happens in try and always been embedded uh, within the society. So as I mentioned earlier, like after 22 months of, of, um, of Pakatan Harapan came to power, PH came into power, they quickly being dethroned through, through the realignment of forces, which actually uh, being influenced by what I mentioned earlier of the 
the Malay Muslim um, middle class sentiment within the country. So it has always been there. So it's very interesting if you notice that um, is it possible for us to go beyond this trajectory? It is possible. People has has um, done it before, especially like for example, if you go way back during the historical period during the formation of Malaysia, for example, um, people from different races try to mobilize beyond the racial categorization. For example, with the um, the uh, the manifesto rakyat, the uh, the perlembagaan rakyat, the rakyat, uh, the people's constitution, which is way before the um, um, the national constitution that we are having right now. So there is those kind of tendency for people to mobilize beyond those racial categorization. But then there's always a tension that try to interrupt those kind of ruptures from uh, expanding the democratic um, um, situation that we are in right now. But um, coming back to your question, whether the youth actually have a different visions of uh, the future of Malaysia, I guess there is. Of course, um, the youth in different parts of the world has always been the beacon of hope. That's, that's one thing for sure. And then, um, because as you can see, like in our parliament system right now, uh, because Malaysia is uh, utilizing the um, democ um, parliamentary democracy, so like almost half of the members of parliament, the median age of the member of parliament in Malaysia is um, more than 60 years old. So as you can see there, like although Malaysia is very much like a very uh, demographically speaking, a very young-ish society, but then again, those who are representing them are those from the previous generation. So this is one of the situation that the youth are facing right now in Malaysia because they can go um, participate in politics um, because those people in power is very much in the old age. But the reason why I am saying this is not I am uh, ages, for example. I'm not an ages. But then again, it's very clear that there is a certain limitation in terms of vision, in terms of what we can do in the future. Because uh, as of now, it's very clear that most of the member of parliaments, um, they are um, binded uh, by different scandals and there's a lack of, um, of visions uh, on their part in order for us as a society in Malaysia to go, to move forward together. Yeah, so this lack of youth participation, especially in the um, governance level is worrying. So I guess this is the reason why most people try to push a fresher, a younger um, electorate to go and out to vote for the next one. But then again, um, uh, just to go back to your questions on how the demands or the aspiration between the urban and the rural area is actually different. I guess uh, one thing is, which is very clear is that the dissenting voices or the dissenting actions has always been there. For, for example, like prior to Lawan movement of which we're going to talk more later, um, we actually had different events or different incidents 
beyond Kuala Lumpur, the, the capital city of Malaysia. For for example, in 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 the Borneo, in Borneo, um, there is this one village uh, where the, the villagers actually came out to protest uh, in in Tawau because um, the government should supply them with uh, food because it's during the extended um, movement control order. So they are not allowed to move in and out. So the villagers was being um, denied the access to food supply for almost two weeks. And then they actually decided to go out and protest. And then prior to that, we also have um, 20 different youth uh, in Johor actually came out to do uh, a street protest because they are being denied their rights to um, do their economic activities. Yeah, and then we also have people who actually hung a scattered banners around the country uh, in response to the um, mismanagement of COVID-19 by the government. And last but not least, I guess this is a very much important um, uh, event, uh, which is the uh, Hartal doctor contract. So in Malaysia, um, with Hartal doctor contract, Hartal, Hartal mean, means protest in, in uh, Indian languages. So, um, so in, in through this event, uh, there is a contract doctors who actually went out to protest because they are being denied their rights to um, have an access as uh, to being absorbed into the uh, to the Ministry of Health to the healthcare system, and they have been doing um, the the job as a contract doctor for almost five years without any um, any um, confirmation of their own situation, you know? So that's, it's very a very precarious situation that the doctors who are as the frontliners of the healthcare situation that we are in right now, but then they are being denied their own, um, um, what we call as um, being denied as their, the job security as the frontliners in Malaysia. So this kind of um, events actually influence different forms of demands. Yeah, but, but then again, I, I try not to say, uh, I, I try not to see this situation as the um, demand between the urban and rural because each of these demand actually resonates well with those people in different, uh, in different geographical location. So this is how, um, some of the demands and factors that influence people to, to, to participate in Lawan, although Lawan has always been organized in KL as of now. Yeah. For uh, English language speakers, what does Lawan mean for the Lawan protests? How did they start? Who's leading them? And should we think of them as part of the this larger wave of protests in Southeast Asia or something unique to Malaysian politics? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, Lawan means fight in Malaysia, uh, in, in Malay language. Yeah. So so basically, uh, yeah, that's that's Lawan uh, in Malay language. And in English it's fight. So so that's that's the direct definition of Lawan. So it means that we have to fight. And of course, like the reason of, of why we have to fight is, um, is various, right? From different parts uh, of different parts of the world, for example. But then again, in Malaysia, uh, we can um, 
see the the uh, what we call in the initial point of why people actually participate in lawan is because of the covid-19 mismanagement and of course uh, it it got to do with the um, political situation that we are in 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 malaysia as well so maybe just a background to um what exactly triggers lawan as a whole so of course one thing that i mentioned uh, before is the covid-19 mismanagement and also at the same time uh, until recently uh, malaysia is actually under the emergency ordinance so emergency ordinance is very much an interesting um, how to say like a political maneuvering that has always been used by those in power so for example like um, the emergency that we experienced in 2021 is actually the fifth that we have experienced collectively uh, in in malaysia since uh for example in the 64 when the indonesia and uh, malaysia confrontation uh so we also had um uh, an emergency ordinance was being promulgated and then after that we have uh, in the year 60 1966 1969 during the russia riot and then the in 7 in 1977 in kelantan in the um Um, Kelantan is another state in Peninsular Malaysia. So, and then the last one would be the 2021, where the government actually promulgated the emergency ordinance. And the reason why they actually um, um, use emergency ordinance or utilize emergency ordinance is because, under pretext of like, oh, we have to, um, uh, we have to use emergency ordinance to allow the government to have better. A management of COVID nineteen situation, but for most of the people on the ground, that's not the case because emergency ordinance meaning that means that um, there's no parliamentary sitting, and then there's no accountability by the government uh, on how are they going to manage the COVID nineteen situation. So this is um, several core situations that we are facing in Malaysia. So. As lawan grows from there, uh, we can see that um, this would be a good rallying point. So, um, in regards to the demands by lawan, is is um, a three simple demands, because uh, the first one would be um, Mahiedin Yassin, the the previous uh, prime minister at that time, to step down, because for us uh, we we do believe that. Um, Mahidin Mahidin Yasin as as the prime minister doesn't really um able to manage the covid-19 situation and the whole cabinet has to go and then the second one the second demand would be the parliament to resume sitting and also to uplift the emergency ordinance and the last one uh the economic demands which we as the secretary of solidarity rakyat the main organizer of lawan um try to push for automatic loan moratorium so this is the three main demands of lawan uh during our protest um last month on 21st uh, 20th of august yeah so um if you ask me how did this protest start um I guess, like what I have mentioned earlier, is a culmination of events. 
there is a series of protests outside of Kuala Lumpur, but then there's not, there is no single protest that actually try to mobilize people in the urban area. And of course, like the last protest that we had, a very small protest that we had is way back during the Lanka Sheraton that I mentioned earlier, the Sheraton move, when um, the Pakatan Harapan was being dethroned and being, um, being um, uh, ganti, as in being uh, shuffled to a new government, which is the Perikata National. But then again, um, the, the, the momentum of Lawan has been gathered um, from different incidents, different events that happens from Lanka Sheraton until now. Yeah. For the protests, when we look at um, protests in the U.S., protests in France, protests in Hong Kong, protests in Thailand, often they'll try to start by talking to the government and then the government will send police to beat the shit out of them. Pardon my language. And uh, then the protests will become more militant because they realize that the government will not listen. Um, how have the protests started for Lawan in Malaysia? And where do you predict they'll go? Do you think they will become sort of a more militant uh, movement uh, like we've seen elsewhere? Or do you think the government will listen to the demands of the protesters? Who is leading the protests? I guess... Um... After the Sheraton move that I mentioned earlier, um, we can observe that there is a huge vacuum within the mobilization or, or the organizing of civil society in Malaysia. And one of the reasons that happens is because um, during the previous government of Pakatan Harapan, um, there is a lot of... Um, different organizations, particularly the NGOs and the civil society actors that has been absorbed into the Pakatan Harapan uh, government at that time with the idea that they try to uh, push through a progressive um, reform within the structure of the government at that time. But then again, what happened is that there is a huge vacuum within the NGO afterwards. So it takes time for people to mobilize. It takes time for people to start doing their own organizing at the grassroots level. And with Lawan at helm right now, I guess we can see the potential. For example, previously we can observe that Bersih is Bersih, uh, the electoral reform protest movement that actually um, that actually um, helped to organize series of protests towards the last 2018 general election. But then again, um, there is a huge vacuum because Bersih then was being absorbed as the electoral watchdog for the election commission of Malaysia. So after that, we don't have a functioning secretariat or functioning body um, to push for a real demand or progressive demand from the grassroots, at the grassroots level. So that's how Lawan came into the picture. So um, in regards to your questions, um, how did this protest start? Um, like I mentioned earlier, we have different protests in different parts of Malaysia, but at the same time, um, we are always in network. 
So this is how the, the protest start because whatever happens outside of Kuala Lumpur, we, also, we always have those kind of networks uh, that has been keep in contact, you know, like we try to, to uh, keep in touch as much as possible uh, in order for us to mobilize to a greater scale. So that's what happened with Lawan because uh, the first protest actually happened in, in, in July where we tried to pass the, the water because that's our first um, protest after almost two years when the first pandemic uh, broke out actually. So it's a matter of how can we actually um, utilize the, the protest space? How can we push further our demands through the um, protest as a tactic, for example? So, and then in the last uh, protest uh, that we had um, last July and last August is very important because um, those who actually came for, uh, to the protest uh, are mostly unaffiliated youth groups. So Lawan is actually organized without the mobilization of the main political parties in Malaysia. So mostly it, uh, the network rely on unaffiliated youth groups, unaffiliated um, the NGOs, and of course the civil society. And demographically speaking, um, we can observe during the last protest most of those who actually went out to protest is like uh, mostly under 30 years old. So I guess that's a very interesting demography that we have. So last time we actually had like um, 2000 protesters and especially during pandemic and the first one um, uh, that we had after two years. So it's quite an historical um, moment as well uh, in the um, political or protest culture in Malaysia, yeah. But then coming back to your questions of who is actually leading them, um, like I mentioned earlier, like it's a loose connection of uh, secretariat, a youth-based secretariat uh, from different NGO, different civil society movement and unaffiliated youth groups. So this is how Lawan was being organized and being mobilized from time to time, yeah. So do they see themselves as connected to, let's say, movements in Thailand uh, or uh, Myanmar or uh, Hong Kong? Or is it something, in your opinion, that's more unique to Malaysia? Everything is well connected because we actually have an access to its, um, social media right now, right? So, for example, like we can always see how uh, the protests in Thailand or Myanmar was being organized, were being organized. So from time to time, oh, uh, we can actually observe and also learn from them. But of course, there is a difference in terms of our um, demands, for example. So for example, it's a question of um, spending the democratic participation. But how can we do it in a Malaysian context? So this is the thing that we try to um, amplify uh, along the way. But then uh, in regards to how is it connected or if there's any possibility that it's connected to a larger protest movement, um, I guess not necessarily in terms of our demands, but in terms of the spirit. Because as you can observe, like in Thailand or Myanmar, those who actually came out in protest is actually those 
the young demography of uh, of the uh, of both countries, for example. So this is how um, the, the 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 connection with the protests outside of the country. But then again, uh, coming back uh, to the three demands that I mentioned earlier, right? That they uh, how um, the first demand would be to ask uh, Muhyiddin to step down, of which uh, we actually achieve the first demand. And then the second one would be the parliament to resume sitting. So this is also uh, a very hard say, like um, we are still uh, in the process of demanding it because um, during the last um, parliamentary sitting, we're supposed to have it um, early of September. It's supposed to be by next week, but then again, it's, it's being um, postponed to a later date. So for us uh, in, in Lawan, we are quite cautious with the political development right now because if they didn't want to resume the parliamentary sitting, of course, we, we have to go out again. And then this situation is not um, unique only for Malaysia because uh, with for example, with Thailand, they're also facing the same situation where um, the um, so-called um, military junta, like the, uh, the, 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 the uh, Prayut, is actually very much um, backed by the military. And they also don't want to open the parliament. And then it's also the same with Myanmar because um, last July, last uh, sorry, last November, um, um, the, the, the NDP was being denied the access to the government uh, as, as the, as the um, legitimate government at that time. So it's the same situation that we are facing right now. But of course, the complexities of the issue differ from, from one place to another. But, but the essence of the demand is clear. The democratic expansion, democratic participation from the youth. Yeah, I guess that's how I, I see the connection between different protests that have that has been happening right now. Is Lawan connecting to issues about uh, abolition or policemen questioning about what the role of police should be in Malaysia? And is it connecting to these issues? I know corruption is a theme throughout Malaysian politics, but is Lawan connecting to these questions about police violence and is it connecting to these questions of climate change in a way that uh, is maybe it's evolving into something that asks more than, you know, just a question about parliament? Um, I guess the, the issue is very much intersectional, right? Like, because for, for example, if we uh, goes back to, to the uh, series of protests organized by Bersih, the electoral reform protest movement uh, since 2006 until um, much more uh, recent in, in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, the last birthday protest, like they have always been consistent in their demands like of electoral reform. But it turned out from eight demands that they actually push or they, 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 they try to demand from the government, only four has been met by the government. So it's the same thing with, with your question here. Like, is there any connection with different issues that we are facing as a society? And how are we going to frame it as a demand towards the government? 
So, for example, during the Versailles protest, like most of the people actually came out um, uh, to protest. Like, of course, they are aware of the Versailles demands, but at the same time, um, uh, at the same time, the real anger actually came from the incompetencies and, of course, the corruption issues uh, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, for, for example, with uh, Najib Razak, uh, one MDB cases and whatnot. So that's the rallying call for those people to come out and protest. So coming back to Lawan, uh, the, 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 the current protest movement right now is almost similar trajectory as well. Of course, the, the, the pretext is um, COVID-19. You know, like the, the whole background of the protest movement is the COVID-19 mismanagement. But then again, the underlying issues has always been the incompetencies of the government because of the several issues that you mentioned earlier about the question of racism, police brutality, uh, environmental exploitation that we are facing as a society here. So there's always a remnant, there's always a baggage from the, the previous uh, democratic movements that we try to absorb, that we try to expand, that we try to enlarge uh, within this current protest movement as well. So, for example, with the question of environmental exploitation, yeah, this is a very important issue because yesterday uh, the, the, the state government actually uh, announced that they are um, suspending the degazement of the uh, North Kuala Langat Forest Reserve. So, as of now, it is safe, but until when? Not we, we cannot be so sure about it because they are always going to try to reclaim the, the forest reserve. They try to take uh, whatever that we have, especially for the uh, indigenous community. So we have to remain on guard about this. We have to remain cautious about this. Um, and of course, the questions of police brutality. Um, yeah, this is something that has been ongoing for like the past, um, like during our in independence period. But then um, for the last uh, 10 years, we can observe how uh, hundreds of different crises, um, especially among the minority, um, was being recorded. Uh, so there's uh, different cases of uh, custodial death in Malaysia has been recorded for the past 10 years, especially among the minority uh, community in Malaysia. And this is only for the police not necessarily um, on the uh, jurisdiction of the immigration department and, and whatnot. So we have a different numbers of custodial death actually in, in Malaysia, but then it's a matter of how can we actually amplify uh, the issue. And then another thing that I would love to, to, uh, to talk more is also about the usage of um, Sedition Act. So Sedition Act um, was being, um, promulgated in 1948 by the British uh, in order for them to clamp down on any dissenting or subversive movement. But post-colonial Malaysia, post-colonial governments in Malaysia are actually using it to clamp down on any democratic um, movements in Malaysia as well. So for example, like tomorrow, um, six of our um, organizers from Secretariat Solidarity Rakyat has been called by the police to be questioned under the Sedition Act. So 
we actually those kind of sedition acts or different uh, colonial acts is the continuation of violence that we are facing as a society in Malaysia. So even the the the, the racism, for example, um, it's the same thing. Like the police, the reason why police is there is basically to to clamp down on those kind of of uh, dissenting voices and. They are very clear in terms of of their positioning. You know, they always going to be uh, in the position of power. They always going to be on the side of the power. So, even with when the uh, when PH actually came into power, like in two thousand eighteen, they faced difficulties um, to abolish the Sedition Act because. Yeah, because there's always an underlying um, um, uh, power structure or power dynamics within the status quo that try to um, ensure that any dissenting voices to be clamped down. So even with PH, when they actually came into power, they don't have any political will to change those kind of um, undemocratic rules of law that we are facing. But then um, coming back to, to, to your questions of how are the Lawan protests actually um, connect with the issues of racism, police brutality, and the environmental exploitation. I guess it's very clear because what we are facing right now is the ongoing um, or the remnants of the uh, structure that we, uh, that we had for the, from independence. So it's a matter of how can we actually frame, for example, the question of um, racism. Um, it's very clear. It's not necessarily about the question of custody death, but of course, but also the um, access to education in Malaysia, because most minority actually have, an, uh, have a problematic access um, to the um, public education system, for example. So this is something um, that we try to vision that we try to um, uh, envision as a, as a society, as, as those people who dare to dream, for example. So of course, um, and of course, coming back to the, to the questions of environmental exploitation, it has been such an important um, issues in Malaysia, actually, because uh, as of now, we are facing a lot of um, disasters as what we normally say as natural disaster, but it's actually a man-made disasters. Because in Malaysia, like we can, like by using the Google map, we can see how um, the deforestation that happens in Borneo and also in Peninsula Malaysia is very blatant abuse of um, environmental exploitation that happening. And it's always connected not only to those um, political um, status quo, but of course to the royal family as well. So this is the dynamics that has emerged from the, the, the situation that we are facing right now. But it's a matter of how can we actually capture this and try to mobilize under the banner of Lawan. This is the um, challenge that we are facing as a protest movement currently. Yeah. How do you see Lawan as a decolonial process? Is it sort of uh, Fananian, as academics might say, in that way of it's trying to pull out the roots of colonialism that are left 
from British imperialism? How is Lawan trying to address sort of these ghosts that haunt Malaysia, roots or ghosts? And then, uh, you know, everyone probably knows Fami Reza. You know, if they know about Malaysia, he's been one of the artists who gets a lot of attention. But um, who are some of the voices who you think we should be paying attention to uh, to better understand, you know, where the future of Malaysia is heading? So who are some of the artists, uh, thinkers that you think people should really look out for? Because, you know, again, Malaysia, Thailand, all these countries are, uh, I, I think, really can teach the world quite a bit. So to repeat that just a final time, how do you see Lawana sort of addressing the legacy of British imperialism and colonialism trying to address? And who are some of the artists, voices, or creatives that people who want to better understand dissent can look to in Malaysia? Yeah, that's a very important question that, that you're posing there, but whether how are we going to position Lawan as a protest movement in a Fenonian kind of perspective, right? Because the structure that defines Malaysia politics is still there. It's everywhere in terms of the legislative, in terms of the uh, administrative entities and whatnot. So the specter is still looming, you know? But then again, um, if I'm going to position Lawan uh, as a protest movement, uh, do they actually have a decolonial um, um, structure, a framework? I guess this is something that we really have to go into deep, uh, into a deeper conversation because um, as I can share with you right now, uh, we are in a very um, initial uh, movement organization or movement building as of now. So of course we don't um, talk too much about the, the coloniality of the protest movement or is there any possibility that this um, secretary actually have the capability to become the um, uh, to actually to aggravate those kind of process, for example. But then I didn't really, dis I don't discount the, the possibilities um, through our conversation or even through our internal discussion with the Secretariat that we actually have the vision of those kind of um, decoloniality, for example. So um, in, in response to that, um, I guess it's got to do with how we are building our consciousness with the uh, political material that we are having right now as a society. For example, um, do Lawan actually have the strength to go beyond the feudalistic notions of how the society is being formed? Because feudal, uh, whether it's the royal family or even feudalistic notion uh, in relation to the political parties is very clear within our society. So this is something that we also have to be very clear. Okay, if we're going to go against the power that be, how far can we go beyond this feudalistic notion? So this is like an ongoing discussion within um, the, 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 the Lawan as a protest movement as well. And then at the same time, uh, like I mentioned earlier on about the, um, the legislation that we inherited quote-unquote, from the British through the Sedition Act, 
through the Printing and Presses Act and whatnot. So this is the essence of how legislation and its apparatus is being formed in Malaysia. So as of now, I guess we are um, developing critiques towards those kind of legislation and the entities or the apparatus that actually um, organize within those powers. So I guess this is something that we consciously try to negotiate and try to, um, how to say, uh, envision beyond the current structure that we have. And especially with the uh, current situation that we are facing with COVID-19, it's almost impossible for us as a society to go back to what we had earlier before. Because there's no way that the, the world or the society can survive with how it has been defined or how it has been run before uh, uh, pre-COVID, for example. So COVID actually allow us more room to experiment with democratic participation, but how? So for me, the question of decoloniality, for example, is really to allow more um, dissenting, contested voices to come in into the building of our uh, of our movements right now. For example, um, the role of the indigenous, of which previously we might not put too much emphasis on their roles uh, within civil society movement in Malaysia. But then maybe this is the time for us to really look at the position or the questions of uh, environmental exploitation vis-a-vis -vis the relation with the indigenous community in Malaysia. So Lawan might have to really the, be the, the umbrella entity or umbrella secretary in order to not just to absorb, but to expand on the dissenting discourses that happen in, in Malaysia as a whole. So um, for, for example, like um, um, with the degazettement of the, um, the forest reserve that I mentioned earlier, uh, the North Kuala Langat Forest Reserve, right? Um, interestingly, uh, it shows that both sides of the political divide, whether they are from uh, Perikata National uh, and also the Pakatan Harapan, PH right now, it shows that they don't really want to um, interrupt or disrupt the, the, the status quo right now. So in that case, that's how Lawan can actually be relevant uh, in a long-term process of decolonizing or decoloniality of, of the protest movement in Malaysia by involving um, the subjugated um, um, society or um, class of society within our discourse right now. Even, even for me, um, I have to post this critique um, uh, to Lawan directly because is it enough only if we're going to push through a certain political demands, which might be restricted only within the, the what we call as the, um, uh, the dominant political structure. For example, is parliamentary democracy enough in order for us to ensure a better representative, uh, a better system that represents democracy to try, for example. So this is an ongoing uh, process for us uh, if we're going to position Lawan as a decolonial movement. Who would be some of the voices uh, or artistic forces 
who uh, like um, artists like Fami Reza, people who are unfamiliar could sort of look at and get a better sense of uh, Lawan and the anger that's uh, that many protesters are feeling or many people are feeling, who are some of the satirists, artists, uh, creatives, uh, or organizers. You know, everyone knows Penguin now in Thailand or Long Hair, uh, you know, in Hong Kong. Who are some of the voices of Lawan that uh, you could be more specific about in a way that's not uh, outing them or endangering them or anything like that? I'm not in the... I'm not fond of the idea of uh, positioning individual as the faces of, of protests and whatnot. So I'm going to locate um, these questions through the perspective of the collective who actually um, runs or mobilizes around the theme of Lawan, not directly, but indirectly as well. So maybe there's two uh, groups that I... Um, admire and also uh, I respect in terms of their um, working output or working capacity, especially at a grassroots level. So the first one would be uh, Pangrok Sulap. Pangrok is like uh, the Pangrok, but it's a colloquial terms for Pangrok. So it's spelled as P-A-N-G-R-O-K, Pangrok. Sulap, Sulap means heart in, in, if I'm not mistaken, is in the language of um, Duson. So Pangrok Sulap is a hut, H-U-T, of Pangrok. So it's a Borneo-based uh, woodcut collective. So the reason why I, I found their works important is because um, the network that they actually have not necessarily been confined to just art circle, but also the music and political circle. So Pangrok Sulap has been uh, quite an influential collective from Borneo. Uh, where they actually practice a very interesting idea of collectivism and also the nature of work that they actually um, produce throughout the, throughout the years. And also the second one would be another um, um, alternative, uh, uh, alternative education entities, uh, which call Borneo Comrade. So it's also based in uh, Sabah, in, in Borneo, uh, part of Malaysia. Um, where they actually uh, organize with the stateless community by opening up alternative school and uh, having a dialogue, a dialogical um, educational system with the stateless community in, in Sabah, especially uh, in um, five different districts in, in, in Sabah right now. So both Pangrok Sulap and also Borneo Comrade, uh, for me, is the ongoing um, protest culture in Malaysia because they're really embedded in the society that they are working with and they try to develop their practices based on the dialogue that they are having with the community that they are living with. So uh, I guess these two uh, entities, organization, actually um, have a very promising ideas of how a society or how, um, how a protest, ongoing protest movement can actually happen in, in Malaysia, yeah. Well, Zikri, that's a great way to end. Um, I really appreciate you giving some wonderful answers on very complicated questions 
where can people find you if you'd like to share that? And this would be the space to say if there's any sort of final message for people listening, uh, you could say it now, and, and that'll be the end of our conversation tonight. All right. Um, thank you so much, Matt, for the hard say, like a very lengthy discussion that we have. I do hope that I, I do justice to a different kind of movement uh, in, in Malaysia. But then again, uh, if you're going to find me, I'm on uh, Twitter and also on Facebook uh, by the name of Zikri Rahman, Z-I-K-R-I space R-A-H-M-A-N and also uh, via my um, projects, um, different projects that I work on, uh, which is uh, Buku Jalanan, B-U-K-U space J-A-L-A-N-A-N and another group that I'm also uh, active with, uh, Malaysia Muda. Yeah, Malaysia and then uh, space M-U-D-A, Muda. Yeah, 